we come to our last installment of this uh, section of Scripture dealing with the imagery of light and darkness, of glory and of veils, of those who see and those who are blinded. And we want to uh, press this now into an area of doctrine that has uh, been divisive in Christianity and in the history of this church even has been divisive. But we are called by God to preach His Word in its entirety, without compromise, and not to the satisfaction of our own prejudices, and that's not a racial term, that's what you prefer to hear, versus what God says is true. And we are going to try, as always, to strike a balance that may leave some of you here dissatisfied, and if it's done really well, almost all of us will leave here a little dissatisfied, because we tend towards extremes, because we like them, they're easier Hitting a balance is a difficult work in our, Christ, in our living as well as in our thinking. But we'll strive to do so today, but not uh, in my capacities. And so we're going to ask God for his help. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us, for your word before us, and for your spirit within us. And we pray that we might be attentive to all of it. Lord, that you might particularly work today to give us an understanding of your truth, to see its implications upon our thinking and what we believe, that we might conform our belief to your principles, to your scriptures, to your Spirit's guidance, that we might see your handiwork and respond to that work by faith believing, knowing that the end result of that is salvation, is deliverance, is blessing. And Lord, this is what we seek today. Not a blessing that we imagine, but one that you have constructed. For we know that it will surpass, by far, anything we could ask or think. And Lord, such we pray today. You might bless this time, as only you can, beyond our capacity really grasp the height, depth, width, breadth of that blessing. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 4, Paul has again pursued this defense of his ministry by talking about the message. What is it that he is preaching? What is it that uh, is consistent in his life that when the accusation comes about his inconsistency, uh, that he has these principles that he that drives his ministry. He's been sharing those principles, and we've fallen upon this principle of the new covenant, of this uh, different kind of message that we have. It's different than the law. It is superior to the law. Uh, it is an advancement. It is a fulfillment of the purpose of the law. Not that we denigrate the law, but rather we recognize its function, its limitations, and its lesser glory than the glorious work of Christ on our behalf. 
that this is our work, not to draw people into a deeper darkness where there is no law, but to take them out using the law, the light, the lesser light of the law, into the glory of Christ, where there is not liberty to sin, but liberty to obey, to be righteous and godly in this present world. That that is the liberty that Paul preaches and teaches. And while the Judaizers were claiming that he was being permissive and drawing people into sinfulness, letting them do whatever their hearts desired after, that they determine what is right and wrong. Paul says, no, what determines right and wrong is this greater glory of the light of Jesus Christ. And so this is the ministry that he talks about in verse 1, a ministry that he must pursue and that he cannot deviate from, that he cannot uh, lessen simply because it has been uh, discouragingly refused by so many, that because it's been perverted by others, that he will simply give up. And this is not what he intends to do. Um, He is not bringing greater darkness into the darkness. He is drawing people to light. And yet, even as he appeals to men's consciences in the sight of God, as we concluded last week, we find in verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God's The God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. And here we have a very carefully constructed statement about who it is and how it is that so many are blinded and are so turned off to the gospel. It is not the only statement in Scripture. We have many others, and they provide in their variety uh, in the full scope. And I'm not going to boil down this issue to a single passage, but I want us to take in a wider scope of the balance that God's Word calls us to in this regard, and that is uh, the area that has been driven by a term of reprobation. And that is the theological term that we use of when God decides that someone is no longer savable, that he'll no longer strive to engage them and to draw them out of darkness into the light. And where's that point of reprobation? And you might say, well, why does it matter, Pastor, if some people get there or not? We still have the same message. Um, Well, it does matter in our doctrine of, uh, (laughs) in just about every doctrine, certainly in the doctrine of salvation, Uh, in the doctrine of Christian living, um, but also in the doctrine of Christ and who he is and what he has accomplished, uh, we we need to deal with these issues. And it is uh, cowardice to simply uh, deny that this isn't a difficult position to take or to explain. But we will strive. Paul here answers the question that is asked in many minds, And that is, why are people veiled from seeing the light? The reason many in Christendom aren't even asking this question anymore, and hence this passage isn't relevant, is because a large section of Christianity has believed in humanism. And the humanistic manifesto is that man is basically good, 
and capable, and the problem isn't uh, an internal one, it's an external one, it's, it's one of ignorance, and we have taken that mentality in much of our evangelism, uh, in our missions work, that the problem of darkness is simply the fact that they have never seen the light, that they have never been exposed to it, that uh, they're ignorant of it. They've never heard the name of Jesus. And certainly that is true for some. But that fundamentally isn't the real problem. It is a problem, but it is not the core problem. But it does touch us uh, to think that, well, all we have to do is simply get that light in front of them and they will respond and people will get saved if we could just overcome the ignorance they have of who Jesus is, what he has done for them. And again, if that is becomes our, our calling card, if that becomes the driving force of our missions work, um, we're going to be out of balance. Why? Because the problem isn't fundamentally ignorance. The problem is sin. That men don't want, generally, universally, to hear this truth. Um, and that is their choice. Because they've chosen sin. And they can choose no other, really. And yet God calls all men everywhere to repentance. And we're going to spend a lot of time on that facet of it. But I I want to just press this a little bit. That if we think that the problem is people's ignorance, um, then everyone within the hearing of a Christian radio station uh, should accept Christ as their Savior. Because they've heard the message. Everyone that has ever participated in uh, an Easter service, even in a liberal church, should understand the message of resurrection for life. Um, and even in its perverted, kind of weak, watered-down uh, way, even in media, they have access. Uh, the problem isn't ignorance. But that is the case in some circumstances, but Romans makes it very clear that that really isn't the problem. Because they have, within the created order, evidences of God that should move them to seek the one true and living God, and Jesus' promises, if they seek me, I'll be found. I'm not far off, I'm near at hand. Hence, ignorance isn't really the core issue here. But, but that's what's driven a lot of our missions, they just don't know. And if I could just show them, if I could just turn on this little light for them, that people will just flock to it. They'll be drawn to it out of curiosity, if nothing else. And they'll see the benefits of it. And then they'll want to be escorted right to the exit, out of the darkness, into the light. And such is not the case. And so Paul wants to address this issue of the blindness, of the veiledness of people's minds. Why is the gospel so veiled? Why is it that these who are perishing uh, can't see the light or choose not to? And what is our response? How does it influence our ministry? Those of Calvinistic and hyper Calvinistic models would contend that the problem is, and they wouldn't even call it a problem, that the situation is one of God's creation. That is that God 
has determined in eternity past who will be saved and who will be reprobate, who cannot, cannot be saved. That that is something God decided, and essentially God created the darkness. That God created this environment where men cannot see the light. And they have their favorite passages that they want to point to, and their examples of Pharaoh and, and others. We're going to come to Pharaoh here in a little bit. Um, but that's their con- conclusion. Um, and yet we find a much fuller explanation in Scripture if we will stop selectively picking our favorite passages and realize that all of the Bible is inspired for a reason. And it presents us a balance. If they are correct and that God in eternity past, by his personal divine counsel, determined ahead of time, not destined, there's a difference. Uh, they use the word determined and the Bible doesn't. But they use predestined, which is a different concept. But they, that God predetermines who can and cannot be saved. Um, then God becomes the author of what Paul's dealing with. That the gospel is veiled to them by God's hand. That they cannot be saved no matter how much light you shine in their face. They cannot because God has determined ahead of time that they will not, cannot receive the light. And of course this flies in the face of passages of scripture that we have that makes it evident, plainly evident, that God desires to save all men. That he gives all men opportunity to respond to the light of his created order, of the law, of the gospel. All of this, that God keeps shedding greater and greater light, and it is now placed upon all men to decide. We read out of John earlier this morning in our our service, and we find there Christ's statement saying that you you have the light in front of you. I mean, he's standing there. The light, capital L, Jesus, standing in front of them. I mean, he had raised the dead. I mean, Lazarus was there, folks. And it says as many people came out to see Lazarus as they did to see Jesus. The guy who did it. Here's Lazarus, and here's the guy that raised him from the dead. And and it was a huge, huge thing. And instead of responding by faith, believing in this man who can raise someone who's been dead three days to life, their concern is, what are we going to do? We're going to lose everybody to him. Everybody's going to want to follow him. That's kind of the opposite of belief, isn't it? And here Jesus stands before them and says, you have a choice. Here I am. I am the manifestation Here, of I'm showing you the Father. I I am showing you the light. I am the capital L, light. Now, you have a choice to believe or not to believe. Go to John chapter 12 very quickly. Some of you have already turned there from what we read. And he talks about this necessity in verse 36. Well, we can go to 35. It says, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. We know, understand that condition. Verse 36, while you have the light, believe. Believe in the light. 
that you may become sons of the light, that you may be born into it, that it may be your natural state now, in the supernatural condition of walking in light, that that can be natural to you if you'll simply believe in the one who is bearing the light to you, Jesus Christ. And so he places upon them the decision. God has initiated this by sending the light. And so we conclude that God wants all men everywhere to repent. Why do we know that? Because he has sent to all men everywhere light. Whether it is of the created order of Romans, whether it is of the law, the Old Testament, whether it is of Jesus Christ and the gospel through the ministry of the gospel, through the church age, God has penetrated darkness with light. He has initiated this contact that we broke off by our sin. Having initiated this, he does something that we often don't think of God doing, and that is waiting. He waits. He sends that light, and then he waits. He sits back and lets you choose. Now, in that condition, men are not neutral. Okay, This is humanism, to think that we're neutral, we're a blank slate, and depending upon our environment, whether we go bad or good. Um, and I don't know how they can uh, deal with... Uh, Twin brothers raised in the same family, and one chooses one course and one chooses another course that are opposites. How does your environment affect that? They both had the same environment. Because man fundamentally isn't a blank slate. He's a broken slate. You can't even write on it. So not only do we have our own sin... But there are other influences. God comes in, penetrates this dismal scene with his light, and waits. While he's waiting, there are other agents involved. There's our own heart, wicked and deceitful. But then Jesus and Paul both communicate that there's other agents involved. Read with me there in John chapter 12. John chapter 12 If you'll back up, verse 30, it says, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake, you know, that God's going to be glorified. He's going to be illuminated, and God's going to glorify Christ and glorify it again. In verse 32, verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be, future tense to Jesus' time, cast out. That there is someone else there who is engaging it. And it's described in verse 35 as darkness overtaking you. You have access to the light. And now God sits back and says, okay, what are you going to do with it? I've given you a light. What are you going to do with it? And we have at work around us and within us these things. And let's go to the classic example of Pharaoh. 
And as we go to the Pharaoh's example, and, and I'm not going to turn there, but, but I think most of you have a working knowledge of what happened there. What we find is Moses showing up as the light, if you will, the lesser light, to come to Pharaoh with this message from God that he got on a mountain, and that is, let my people go, that they can go and sacrifice and worship to me uh, three days' journey into the wilderness and such. Uh, and to prove that I am a messenger of God, Aaron takes his staff, tosses it, it does its thing, turns in, and, and the magicians come along. Pharaoh's pretty impressed, but calls his magicians in, who are able to replicate the first several signs that Aaron does in the presence of Pharaoh, uh, is able to replicate that, and it says that that caused Pharaoh to harden his heart. And so we find one influence in that environment where God sends a messenger with a message um, that just point blank says, I'm going to show you a little bit of what we're, uh, my power, and uh, I'm going to give this message, and then I'm going to wait and see what your response is. And here's one influence, while God is waiting for a response, here's one influence that Pharaoh heeded, and that was those of darkness around him who were called wise men. We think of magicians as charlatans. That was not their view in that day. They would have been considered the sages. They were the, oh, I don't know if I should say this, they were the scientists of their day. Sorry, guys, I know a couple of you are really into that. They were the well-educated. They understood certain things about secret things uh, of the physical order and and. Uh, yes, they did have access to some uh, spiritual darkness, but really they're, they were just uh, be able to manipulate things and they, could, uh, they knew how to get sand out of water, uh, dry sand out of water and, and cool things like that. And I was going to do that this morning for you just so you could see how you can do that, take sand out of water and have it be totally dry when you pull it out. Um, it, we can replicate those kinds of things. And they knew how to do that. And so, in Pharaoh's mind, he saw, here is these men with a message from God. Here are my wise men, and I'm going to choose to heed them, because I don't like their message. And still today, we deal with that influence in people's minds. That there are blind leading the blind. And so, as we come with the light of the gospel, they have an option. They have an option to believe that argument or this argument that comes out of the darkness where they live. And we have those arguments today. And this is what is fundamentally difficult with trying to have logical arguments for the existence of God and, and why they don't really produce of themselves uh, a moving of people to have faith in Jesus Christ. They can open the door for the gospel, but they cannot replace the gospel. Because you have tit for tat. Here's the gospel. Well, I got this guy over here. Here's the philosophy of this man. And here's the teaching of this guy. And so I can choose. And no one can know the truth. And everyone, it's totally subjective. You chose yours. I chose mine. Truth is relative. And fundamentally, at the first interaction between Moses, Aaron, and Pharaoh, um, Pharaoh was confronted with a choice between the wisdom, the, the magic, if you will, of Pharaoh and Aaron, and the magic of, or wisdom of his men. 
He had that influence and it hardened his heart. God, it doesn't describe as hardening his heart yet. Later on, it says that God's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. But that was later in the process. Early in the process, it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And this is one of the keys to reprobation that I don't hear taught. And so God sends this light in, and he waits for a response. And men can respond uh, several ways. They can uh, ignore it, which is to reject it. They can actively reject it, or they could uh, have some curiosity towards it, or they can respond completely toward and receive it. Okay, you have that, that spectrum of responses, and God waits But Christ says something here in John, and that is that there is a limit to God's waiting. You have this light for a little time. God is going to expect a response. He's not going to give you indefinitely to decide. That's why there is no such thing as purgatory, where you get to indefinitely kind of, and maybe your relatives back home, uh, back home, back up, that are still alive, can help you out there, and you can just pay for it yourself. No, there's a definite period of time. So God initiates it with light to all men. He waits for a response. We have these influences. Then God raises the bar, if you will. And again, now the magicians are off the scene, because now we've raised the bar into the supernatural that they cannot replicate by manipulating the natural. And now we have this back and forth. In this section, uh, in Pharaoh's account, sometimes it's Pharaoh hardening a heart, sometimes it's God hardening a heart, but he has no answer. Pharaoh has really no answer to this kind of working. But he doesn't like what it will lead to. And what you'll hear is the council in the background. The council in the background says, if you let these people go, Who are going to make the bricks? Who are going to build our cities? We have more of a pragmatic approach to it and because the realization that uh, I'm not denying that the light is the light. I'm just trying to think through, if I accept that, that's going to change everything. (laughs) Right? And people have to think through that process. If I accept Christ... The way you're describing it, that's going to change things. And I don't know if I want that kind of change in my life. And for many Americans, they're kind of happy with their life, you know, even with their own misery, because they don't recognize how miserable they really are because they can be entertained into oblivion or they can, or they can uh, put themselves through multiple different easily accessible physical substances to keep them from thinking about it. And so they come very practical and just trying to think, you know, I don't know if I want that kind, I don't know if I want to live that kind of life. I kind of like sin. I like the way it is. I just want to be able to have it the way it is um, and no misery, no condemnation, no judgment. I don't really want to change. 
They don't want to walk as children of light. The Bible also says that there's this agent, the God of this age. It says there, the ruler of this world, it says in verse 31 of John 12, um, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. There is a, another influence in men's thinking that as they see this lesser light of the law, there's another one there that when the attempt to bring that glory of the gospel into their life comes, they, they, they have this another agent. So you have the, the sages of this world who are the blind leading the blind. You have the, the pragmatist who just doesn't want to change. I don't want to deal with that kind of radicality of, of change in my life. And then you have another agent there, the God of this age, of this world. And even in his parable of the seed and the soils, Jesus Christ talks about this, that you've sown out there, and these birds come and eat it before it even penetrates the soil. And they're like, oh, who is that? Well, that's the God of this age who comes and snatches it away. And that happens. I want you to notice that none of those influences are God. God, in his love, brought light into the darkness. He initiated it out of pure love for all men. And then he waits. And as men Instead of responding to that by believing, as Christ says, you got the light for this little bit of time, what are you going to do with it? You need to believe. You need to believe. So you can become sons of light. Now it becomes your whole new life. But if you don't, you're going to be drawn right back into darkness, and there's no guarantee you'll ever see or access light again. And so God in his love penetrates that for all men. Universal access. Yes, I teach that. I believe that. I really think that when God says he loved the world, he loved the world. And not just the world of the elect. God wants all men everywhere to repent. I think that he means that. Not just all elect men everywhere elect men happen to be. In western world. No. God sends the light. And Jeremiah's a great one. I'm going to send you to preach them because I maybe everyone will believe. I think that's a great, that's one of my, becoming one of my favorite little passages there in Jeremiah. Maybe everyone will believe. I'm sending light in there. I mean, after all, you've been in darkness and here's someone with a light. Woo, that's different. But now people must choose. And we are foolhardy if we think that we're the only influence on people's lives. There's the God of this age who is an active agent turning people away from the light. Don't look at that light. They're crazy. Not light doesn't exist. There's no such thing. You ever seen it before? No, it's just, it's a trick. There's the sages of this world who, oh, we can explain that. That's just some weird phenomenon that, that uh, they just created by their belief system, and it's not real. We have decided that that is unreal. We determine what reality is, 
Um, and we have determined that in our darkness, the reality is darkness. That's unreal. Then there's men that just don't want to change. So they have all these influences over them. And yet somehow out of that, some respond to the light. And walk by it. Christ says, walk in the light. His, his command is to walk in light. Respond to the light that God's brought into your life. You don't know how long you have it. It may be snatched away from you. Um, it, it may be drawn away. But God is not the one who is withdrawing the light at the initiation. He brought the light. He initiates it. And then he waits. And he asks, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? He'll even brighten the light a little bit. Maybe another person comes into your life. Maybe you hear the gospel from another source. Maybe you have another access point. And every access you have where God is extending himself to you as light uh, brings you to decision-making. You are not reprobate yet. But if you resist and press that resistance, listening to the God of this world, the ruler of this world, listening to men in darkness, the blind leading the blind, if you consider your ways and, want, and love your sin uh, more than righteousness, if, if you just reject it, yes, I do believe there comes a time when God says, I'm done. Not of his eternal will of the past, but in response to you and your lack of response to his initiation of the light into your life. And this is why you get to those last miraculous things going on in Egypt And Pharaoh is ready to surrender, and God hardens his heart. Why? Because Pharaoh didn't respond when he should have. God says, no, you didn't respond back here when you had an opportunity, you had a free choice, you had liberality to, to choose who you wanted to listen to, and you chose for all these reasons to reject it, and now at this late season, your country is going to get hammered, and you will not be capable of responding. And this, my brethren, is what the world will be like two seconds after the rapture. This is what the world was like two seconds after Christ the angel of the Lord, pre-incarnate, called Noah to build a boat. My spirit will no longer strive to draw anyone to the light. This is what happened when two angels showed up at Sodom. There was no hope anymore. See, when the angels showed up, there was no longer any hope. They were just there to get lot out.
yes, there comes a time of reprobation. When God says, no more. But that was not determined in eternity past. Nor does God cause it to come. He, rather, brought you light to decide and leaves it to you and waits upon you. And then as you respond or fail to respond, he must respond to that. And so the idea that God is, if I don't believe it's God's fault, and I hear that in the philosophies of men today, that says, well, if I don't believe it's all God's fault because he knows everything ahead of time, um, he knows the destiny. That's the end. And that's what predestination means. He knows, he has determined ahead of time what the end is. That if you choose Christ, he has determined what your end is. He is your destiny. That all who accept Christ, this is their destiny. And that is to be with me in heaven with my Father. All who choose me, to walk in me, to believe in me, this is their destiny, their end. It is not about the process. That God is the causation of this process of rejection. He's not going to allow me to accept him. That is a lie from the evil one. But rather that if you reject him, here is your destiny. And yes, he has determined long ago that all those who reject him will be destined for eternal darkness. That is their end. Not the process, but the end. God has set the end. You have a choice of of the path. He simply brings a sign that has arrows. You choose. The destiny of this path is eternal life. The destiny of this path is eternal death. And I'll shine a little light here where this path starts. Where the door through this passageway goes. You walk through that passageway and bam! <laughs> You're now son of light. It becomes the norm. And becomes shameful to desire after shadows. As we've talked in the past. Paul here in Corinthians wants to deal with this. That it is not God who is veiling people's faces. And if we go back to the original illustration of Moses... God tried to come to all the people, didn't he? If you read the account, if you've been reading, you should have read through that. God came and the people heard the voice of God. They were right there and, and they stopped their ears They said, and they covered their eyes and said, no, we don't, we're afraid. That was their choice. Can you imagine the entire nation glowing instead of just one guy? That's what God offered. When they first came to the mountain, that's what God offered. He said, I'm going to let all of you hear my voice. 
I'm going to let all of you see this piece of my glory. And they said, no, thank you. It scares us. It's too scary. Just talk to Moses. <laughs> and so Moses, alone, gets to see the glory, hear the voice, walk as a child of light. God always initiates the light and then waits for our response. And think of how many times he was patient and enduring with Israel um, and when, until finally he just says, you're all going to die in the wilderness. All of you over 20, I'm just fed up with it. It's finished. Reprobation is not a decision God made in eternity. It's a decision God makes daily by how men respond to the light in their darkness. God did not create spiritual darkness. The ruler of this age and men of this age did that and are doing that. God is not responsible for that. He is the one who is responsible for the light coming into that darkness. And as we respond to that light, he has destined those who believe to life, and he has destined those who reject it to death. The less we respond to the light when opportunity has it, the more likely the God of this age will blind you to keep you from believing to keep you in that state of perishing because he doesn't want the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, to shine on you. And here's a light over this doorway into daylight, and he doesn't want you to look at it. Don't look over there. It's foolishness. It's not real. It's a crutch. These are the arguments that men listen to and believe. Paul says this is what's going on. It's not about my preaching. It's not because I'm preaching myself. He says, no, I preach Jesus Christ. We're just the bondservants. We're we're here for Jesus' sake. Don't you dare attribute that kind of evil to my God or to his servants. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. It is this God who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 6, 2 Corinthians 4. This is our God. He didn't make spiritual darkness. He does not determine ahead of time that that most should stay in it. Do not bring this accusation against him. Just as he brought light in the creation of the world, he brings light in the hearts of men. They might know him. He is not hiding. We do not have a 
hide-and-seek God. We have a God who is a revealer of himself to man. And he's done that ultimately through Jesus Christ. He always, always, always reveals himself until men don't want it. Then he leaves them reprobate. In Romans, that is described as their conscience is seared as with a hot iron. This is God's response to the unresponsiveness of man. We are not going to hang reprobation upon God's eternal will. For he has clearly stated the opposite. He has clearly demonstrated the opposite, that it is he who wants to bring light. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Oh, that we would allow it to transform, this truth to transform us from glory to glory, to the image of Christ, the revealer of God. Don't lose heart. You must get the gospel out. But do not anticipate that men are neutral and ignorant. That's the reason they don't haven't accepted Christ already. For many have heard and continue to reject because the God of this age is active. Because men's hearts are black. Because the world wants blindness. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you that you loved us and sent light into our lives through creation, through the law, through your gospel, that you desire to reveal yourself to us, that we might find our way, not by groping, but by walking by that lesser light into your greater light of Jesus Christ. What a wondrous God you are. And Lord, we are ashamed those seasons when we have considered that the losses of men is to be put on your doorstep. For this is the opposite of what you've done. You've put the salvation of men forward. Lord, we pray that we might faithfully, without losing heart, and without promoting ourselves, share that light with all those that we have, considering not any cost too dear to us, even as you consider the cost of sending your Son not too dear to you, that men might respond. Lord, we see a great darkness. Not a darkness of ignorance, but a darkness of rejection. We see your day of reprobation coming quickly. Indeed, as men continue to seek to put out your light, we know that you must come to judge. 
So Lord, give us an urgency to be lights. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.